Automakers believe that 2013 is going to be a terrific year for car sales. Of course, that assumes they're going to be able to build all those cars. And the reason I mention that is that in the supplier industry, they're bumping up against their maximum production capacity. Are they really going to be able to build all the parts and components to make those cars? That's the panel discussion that we're going to be holding today on AutoLine This Week. And joining me for this show are Neil DeCoker, the head of the OESA, the Original Equipment Supplier Association, Michael Martini, the president of OE Sales for Bridgestone Americas, and Doug Grimm, the CEO and chairman of Greta Holdings LLC, one of the fastest growing castings company in the business. And we'll be back in just a moment to hear what they have to say about how they are going to cope with this manufacturing capacity crunch. Production of Auto Line this week is underwritten by True Car. From the floor of the North American International Auto Show in Detroit, Michigan, this is Auto Line this week. Now here's your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us in this panel discussion about coping with the capacity crunch in the automotive supplier community, and of course. On my panel today are Neil DeCoker from the OESA, Mike Martini from Bridgestone, and Doug, Grada, or Doug Grimm from Grada. Thanks for joining us here for this discussion. And as I had talked about in the, the intro to the show, the capacity crunch is really impacting the supplier industry, straining to meet that capacity. Neil, you deal with so many of the suppliers in this business. Paint the picture for us. Just how serious of an issue is this? Well, thanks, John. Uh, a year ago, uh, we anticipated uh, 13.8 million vehicles would be built in North America, and we ended up at about 15.3 million. And back at the uh, last year, we were worried about being able to make uh, the 13.8 million capacity. So suppliers have been basically uh, almost on 24/7, a lot of them, and there's been significant uh, stress uh, to try to meet uh, our customers' demands. Key areas are in materials uh, that includes castings and rubber and plastics and, and other products. Uh, there's also powertrain issues with a lot of variety of new powertrains coming out, tremendous uh, issues there. And we've got issues in such things as tooling uh, and major uh, uh, production lines and so forth for new equipment that's making special parts. That kind of equipment today is 18 months uh, if you order it to get it online. All good details. We'll have to get more into that. And when, when you're, you're, the numbers that you're talking about are production numbers. Some people might right. say, wait, that doesn't match up with sales. But you're talking about what is actually being manufactured in North America. That's right. It's production in North America, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Mike Martini, tires, I got to believe, I keep hearing, are one of the true choke points in the business. Why is that? Well, that's, that's amazing, you know. For years and years and years, we all had tons of capacity, no issue. The real change is the type of capacity. You know, the OEMs got to meet 54 and a half. We all know that. They all Miles want gallon. You got it, man. So we all want the highest possible technology. Well, the type of capacity, not only the capacity from a manufacturing perspective, but the type of materials that you need for those ultra high performance products are in short supply on a global basis. You know, we just passed 80 million vehicles on a global basis. You know, we, luckily we still got four on every, uh, every car, sometimes five in the trunk. So, you know, for us, it's a huge number. 
And Doug, I got to believe the same thing with castings. I mean, you're one of the fastest growing castings company in the business, and yet are we seeing a shortage in your end of the business as well? It's, it's been a little tight, John. And, and uh, as we came out of the recession, there was a consolidation in our sector. Uh, we accomplished that. Now we're sustainable, profitable. And as we move forward, we're working very closely with our customers on a very collaborative basis. And I think that's the difference you're going to see now versus five years ago is everybody's working part by part, module by module, system by system. Like Tony Brown said a few years ago, you know, don't bring on capacity without talking to Ford Motor Company. He doesn't want, and we don't want the suppliers and the industry to get to where it was before. How do you determine that then? When, when you know you've got to add capacity, how do you try to figure out just how much you should be adding, even if you are talking to the car companies? Well, we have to look at, the, um, at what their opportunities are, and all of them obviously think they're going to gain market share. And so we have to kind of discount some of that and then basically go back to our investment committees to see what makes sense for us from a financial standpoint and our internal rate of, rate of return and how we're trying to grow and meet our customers' needs while also having a sound balance sheet and income statement. Earlier you had talked to me too about adding capacity by part number. Explain for the audience what you mean by that. Well, getting into more of the, of the details of the vehicle. I mean. Uh, you know, there's upwards of you know 5,000 components on a vehicle, and so uh, a lot of times historically in our sector, people would just add capacity, like right now, because the news media is talking about it. Well, you can't just do that because what will happen is everybody brings on the capacity, your competitors as well, and then there's too much capacity, and we run into the situation we ran into in 2009. Uh, what we do now is we've got to sit down part by part and understand exactly what Ford or GM or Toyota or Volkswagen needs and understand their maximum daily capacity rates, what we can produce, and how that all comes together in our factories. And, and, and to really add on that, you know, one of the things you got to do as a supplier is, we all know that they, all our OEMs think that we're gonna, they're going to all hit it out of the ballpark. So we got to kind of pick the winners and losers. Well, it's really hard to pick the winners and losers, so you got to kind of do, for us at least, kind of a portfolio approach. So that you know, you look at your market share maybe over the B segment or the C segment, and then you know if one does hit it out of the park, it's probably going to take away from the other guys. So you know, I think the smart suppliers you know understand that, and you know we all use the third parties, you know like the IHSs and the Polks and the LMCs of the world to help us understand you know who is going to be a winner and a loser, and more importantly, what is the total market for B segment, C segment, D segment, trucks, on and on. So that's really a key point. Mike, how flexible is a, a tire manufacturing facility? You know, automakers talk about now, oh, we can build three or four models in an assembly plant, maybe even more than that. Can tire manufacturers flex, I mean, from truck tires to little A segment ones, or are you pretty much locked into what tooling you have? Uh, we're kind of locked into the kind of the size of the presses that you have. You know, if you're going to have, you know, you know, like really large, you know, like light truck tires that, you know, go on, you know, Silverados and those kind of uh, Ram pickups and stuff, that actually takes different tooling than something you might put on a Cadillac. So, you know, yeah, you've got to be really cautious of that. And you, so you get all these capacities within your overall capacity that you got to manage. That's why you can't oversell and underdeliver ever, ever, ever. <laughs> In other words, you know, Bridgestone may be able to claim, oh, we have X capacity. Right. The automaker's got to understand that that means, well, we have this amount of capacity in this size, that amount of capacity in that one, and so on. And, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, and that's go a ahead. great point. And, and I think also, like Bridgestone and my company, Grady, 
industries as well. I supply Caterpillar, John right, Deere. Right. So um, those industries come into play as well. And as those markets rebound, it becomes a bigger issue for the overall uh, sector. And I think tires and castings are right. two areas where we're very diversified. Neil, in your opening remarks there, you, you mentioned tooling lead time. I've got to believe that's another big issue in this capacity crunch the supplier industry is facing. Absolutely, you know, the tooling uh, industry has been declining in uh, uh, Western Ontario and Michigan and Ohio for a number of years, and they've just uh, really been beat up. Foreign competition uh, further aggravated that, and then 2009 hit, and a number of tooling companies have not survived. So what's left? is really being constrained tremendously. Right now in 2014 and 15, we have the largest number of new vehicle introductions uh, that we've had in years. We've averaged, I think, 38 per year. This is going to be 55, 54. So the amount of tooling required for those new vehicles is out of this world, and we don't have the people. Even if we had the equipment capacity in the tooling industry, we don't have the, uh, the, the tool and die makers anymore. That's a shame, and shame on us for not having them. I got to believe, too, it's not like running down to Home Depot and saying, oh, I got to get some stamping dies or molding <laughs> machines or anything like that. Yeah. You're talking, what, many months, maybe a couple of years to be able to get this, this yeah. equipment. Yeah, many times it's, it's up to two years, and making a mold or a die is a large die, like a fender die, so forth, it's easily 12 months. You talked about the need for more collaboration, really communication in the industry. Are the OEs better now at letting the supplier industry know what's really coming so that these guys can be prepared? I think they've made uh, significant uh, efforts to improve communications. Uh, Chrysler has monthly meetings with suppliers on, on a group basis. Uh, GM does the same thing and Ford has some increased communications. So all of them have recognized that you got to let suppliers know what your plans are so that you can be a part of it. So they are, they do recognize it. They're trying to get suppliers involved earlier in, in the vehicle program so that if you're selected you know what's going on earlier and you can plan ahead. Doug, do you see it that way? Do you see the OEs really communicating better with you so you yes, know what's absolutely. coming? absolutely, and, and I think that's going to be a major change from, you know, call it the old uh, car industry and the new car industry. The collaboration is going to be, is a lot closer. It's digging, I'm typically a two, tier two and tier three supplier. It's coming down further than that, understanding the, you know, the raw materials coming out of the ground and that whole supply chain and the capacities involved with that. And I think that's going to be a major factor uh, in our valuations of our companies as well. You know, right now the valuations of suppliers is rather low and everybody thinks, the investors think we're going back to the old ways of Detroit. And that's not the case. I see us actually changing dramatically and getting a lot closer in that supply chain and working with the customers all the way through. Great point. Mike, uh, you mentioned before, you, you got to pick your targets as a supplier. Yeah. Automakers all think they're going to hit it out of the park, as right. you said earlier. They think this is going to be the best selling car that they ever came out right. with. You may know better than that, or you might have a gut feel. How do, you, how do you sort of second guess what the car companies are telling you? Well, it's all about being open, honest, and transparent. I mean, they know that they're not going to be successful on everything. We actually sit down and say, okay, this is our capacity. We show them our issues, you know, so, so that they understand the whole ball of wax. So if you're open, honest, and transparent, 
then they understand that, oh geez, maybe, maybe we really won't need this much here. And I can actually use that capacity over here for something that they do need us for. Especially when you're in a capacity constrained type of an environment, you know, you have to do that. And I think the OEMs are really doing a, a fabulous job you know, uh, being open and saying, yeah, we understand, you know, uh, you know, LCRs and MCRs, you know, lean capacity rates and max capacity rates, and, and they've actually, actually changed the way they defined it. I know General Motors just did that uh, about a year ago. I'm on the GM Supplier Council, and that was a big issue. Neil, uh, Doug just alluded to the analyst community maybe worried about the auto industry going back to its bad habits, putting in too much capacity, getting into a pricing war, nobody making any money. Is this a real fear? Uh, not as, as big as it was before. I think we've learned our lesson and it's been a recent lesson. So the management teams that are in place at the vehicle manufacturers and at the supplier uh, community are very aware of what has happened. So I think uh, they're uh, you know, five or ten years from now when the next management team comes in, uh, they will not have experienced this maybe or they were very junior in the company. Those folks might kind of forget and things change, but we're being extremely careful. We ask in our uh, supplier barometer uh, that comes out every two months, we ask our members uh, at what their break-even capacity is. And uh, January that just came out last week, the break-even capacity is 12 million units and we were producing 15.3 million. In 2007, when we produced the same number of vehicles of around 15 million, our break-even was 14 million. So there was very little room for margin. So actually, we've learned our lesson. We're being careful to keep costs under control. Well, that would tell me then that the supplier community ought to be pretty profitable right now. They are quite profitable, and that's one of the challenges is the boards are saying, why add capacity? you know, and then end up trying to find a way to fill it and so forth, when in fact we're very profitable right now. Yeah, What's wrong with staying wanna, where we are? But that's I want to clarify, I mean, I think the supply base is profitable, but there's a lot of catch-up CapEx, capital expenditures we have to make yeah, from 2008, nine, and 10 during so that So you recession. need those profits. We need those profits to catch up and to make the volumes that the car companies need now. Yeah, great. Oh, is, great. is that one of the things that's holding back valuations of supplier companies though? The recognition that even though they're profitable, they're going to have to spend all that money? Possibly, but I think that's a short-term area. I think that hopefully through 2013 we'll be through that. I think most of the supply base will be. And then, then I think after that, it's just how you're running your business. And to Neil's point, how much, you know, you know, how much risk do you take on with adding that extra capacity or growing globally? Getting to China, getting to Europe, getting to Brazil, getting to Mexico. Mexico is becoming a huge factor for North American production. All the car companies and, and commercial vehicle companies and transportation companies are growing in Mexico. And I think specifically in that region, that's going to be something we're going to have to tackle as, a, as an industry. And Doug brings up a great point, you know, we're so North American focused sometimes, you know, this is a global industry, you know, we all deal with it every day, and, you know, overall that growth is, is there. Every company only has got so much CapEx, you know, and so, you know, you've got to pick your markets that you're going to be in, and you don't want to exclude maybe the higher growth markets, which are not here right now, you know, we're in a huge growth market right here right now, but, you know, there's there's some that are actually growing a lot more, you know, we all talk about China and where they are, et cetera, et cetera, so it's a, it's a really important point. So Mike, 
where's Bridgestone as an example, or maybe you can even talk generally of the tire industry. You know, we see sales growing in North America, right. much elsewhere, m many other places in the world, maybe not in Europe so much right now, right. but at one point they're going to get back on their feet. Yep. More models coming out, yep. coming out faster than right. ever before. Right. What is, what's your thinking as to what the tire industry's got to do? Well, we've got, we've got two issues right now, and we talk about the, you talked about the cadence that we're, we're coming out with new products. And are you differentiated? You know, if you're a differentiation product, you know, we all talk about these mega platforms now, million, a million units on a platform. Well, for our business, you know, they use the tires to differentiate one product from another. So we're having an explosion of different products out there in the marketplace. So that, that's really important. So you got two issues. Uh, you, got, you got to design all those. Uh, so we have a capacity issue really on designing them all. You know, the cadence had really slowed down. I think you mentioned that, Doug. And now we're really catching up. So, you know, just getting all these products designed uh, is, is a huge issue. Luckily for Bridgestone, we are a global uh, manufacturer. And, uh, you know, we kind of, we have a philosophy, and I think all the companies do uh, have different ones. But for us, it's build where we sell. So, you know, we've got a $1.2 billion expansion right here in the U.S. in order to, to catch up to where we want to be with this new type of capacity. Now, that's not all passenger and light truck. It's, it's even some of those huge off-the-road tires, you know, ones that are as tall as this ceiling anyways, you know. Um, so, you know, that's, that's in a really important point. But you, you have to grow everywhere. So we got a plant starting up in Vietnam. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's nonstop. It's just nonstop. So it's paying attention to the capacity of the growth and then, obviously, and you see it here at the show, I mean, just lightweighting and, and really paying attention to the lightweighting and providing customer solutions. So potentially changing your technology, investment in that technology as well, along with supporting the growth right. and the capacity. Well, there's a good point that you're raising here. Technology is changing so fast the cafe regulations, the fuel economy yep. regulations are driving so much of this cadence that you might be putting capacity into a product right now that's going to have to get redesigned far faster than it ever would have been in the past. Uh, absolutely, uh, John, and, and, and frankly, a gradient example, we have, we have a, a, a chemistry that lightweight ductile iron up to 30%, and the big thing we were worried about is how much of our tooling do we have to change uh, for the next generation Ford F-Series or the, or the GM K2XX or the Dodge Ram or the Tundra. And, and fortunately, with their technology, we don't have to change that tooling. So that was key to us uh, further cool. investing into this chemistry to support the car companies and their lightweighting going forward. Cool. Neil, give us an overall picture then. I mean, I, I asked you this before, but is this supply constraint in the supplier industry holding back sales? Could the industry be doing even better right now? I don't think so. I think uh, that we're doing, uh, in terms of sales, as well as we can, as well, uh, what the market would bear. We um, and all the projections are based on uh, what you know, considering Europe, considering fiscal concerns with the U.S. and all these balances. Uh, still uh, over seven percent unemployment. All of those things still keep sales down to some some degree. So even all this discussion, it's an issue and you got to keep yeah. an eye on it. So far the industry's handling it pretty well is what you I would say? I think they're handling it well and also they're not discounting. They're being very careful to build what the consumers want rather than building a bunch of stuff, putting it in the parking lot and then putting prices on it to get rid of it. You know, 
That's, well, those are the good old days. They can't, yeah. they the, can't battle days. the battle days. <laughs> they can't go back there. No, that, that's the beginning not. of the end. Yeah. If they start that, I mean, the whole industry is healthy when the OEMs are profitable yeah. uh, and have investment grade. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, the CEOs in place now, I mean, they're fabulous. And I, I think they're, they've seen what's occurred in the industry over the last 15, 20 years. And, they like the situation they're in now. Yeah. And I'm bullish. I think the supply base, you know, even during the recession, was more resilient than anybody thought. Yeah, and I, I think, think as, right. the, uh, as the as the industry industry continues to grow in North America and globally, I think the supply base is going to be right there to support the customers. It's just a matter of working through the issues. Okay, we've been talking all about this capacity constraint. We've talked about tooling, tooling lead times, machinery, all that sort of thing. We haven't talked about the human capital. And so, as you increase production, you've got to hire people to be able to run the equipment or the operations. And I keep hearing from everybody, and Neil, I'll ask you to pick it up. We just can't get as many people into this industry as we need right now. We retired an awful lot of people, and the average age of people retiring, because we've been downsizing at GM, Ford, and Chrysler, especially, and then suppliers as well, we've been downsizing for years as the market for us shrunk. And as a result of that, the average age of the people that retired was like 54, and they hung it up and said, you know, those that still had to work went, had to go someplace else, the rest retired, and there's a tremendous shortage of qualified people in our industry as we pick back up in volume. And we're trying hard to do things about it. We need apprenticeship programs being kicked off. They're working with uh, uh, junior colleges, uh, the community colleges systems and so forth, but it all takes time. You know, we're talking years to get these people trained. An apprenticeship program is three years. Yeah, you, you, know. you think lead time for tooling's long yeah. term. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait to the people. Uh, Mike, I've said that it's a shortage. Is Bridgestone running into that? You know, so far at the tire plants, we've been able to get, you know, kind of uh, the, the workers on the floor have been okay. The skilled trades are kind of the key thing, and, and you alluded that uh, to that, Neil. So that's a big thing. You know, we're a little different, even though, you know, we're in the auto industry, we have the largest retail footprint in the world with 25,000 people working at our Firestone stores every day, uh, wrenching on cars, so you can imagine trying to get ASC certified technicians for that kind of a footprint, it's, it's a huge issue. Doug, same thing, uh, are you able to get the kind of talent that you need in the casting business? Well, we're working very hard at it. We've lost a lot of people through the recession and, and uh, obviously uh, uh, the vocational schools haven't been as popular over the past 10, 15 years you know, with our youth. Everybody wants to go to obviously a four-year university. And so we're working very closely with uh, schools like the University of Alabama, Virginia Tech, uh, University, uh, University of Milwaukee School of Engineering, uh, University of Wisconsin Platteville. And so we're working with those schools and we're recruiting and, and actually sponsoring internships and, and doing uh, programs with those schools to bring talent into our facilities. Uh, because, you know, frankly, the foundry industry is a, is a very uh, old industry and uh, it hasn't been popular. So we have to go out there and really recruit and bring people into the, into the industry. I, I imagine that lack of popularity is a double-edged sword. Nobody wants to get into that business because eh, it's castings, it's not sexy, it's not electronics <laughs> or leading edge. Right, and right. yet on the other hand, that kind of leaves the field wide open to people or companies like Greta, doesn't it? Absolutely, and, 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 and frankly, uh, uh, we're, we have 21 locations, for example, in North America, and, and we've been uh, you know, uh, around since 1920, so we're very ingrained in the communities where uh, we're, we're located. Uh, we're, we're usually the top employer in town, 
And so the communities love us, the state loves us, and uh, we provide jobs and opportunities for, for people in those areas. So uh, we got to continue to invest and, and make sure we're doing the right things for those communities. Neil, has anyone quantified how many people the supplier industry is going to need? I, I saw a report from the Center for Automotive Research that said uh, the industry in the U.S. is going to add, I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but 30,000, 40,000 people just this year alone. Yeah, yeah, this uh, car has tried to quantify it a little bit, and I think that number is almost double that, but it's, uh, it's big, and uh, we, just looking back 2007 to 2013, uh, we produced about the same number of cars in 2012 as 2007. We did it with 100,000 less employees. Whoa, whoa, so wait, 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 say that again, because that's an in, interesting thing. In 2007 and 2012, we made about the same, built about the same number of vehicles in North America. We did it with 100,000 less employees. 100,000 fewer employees yeah. in wow. 2012. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How do you that's do that? Well, we, that's productivity. 700,000 yeah. to 600,000. And it was, it's all productivity, and uh, that's how we're, our break-even point is lower and so forth. But the talent that we need is to be that much smarter and has to understand how to work with much more sophisticated equipment, and that's where the training and finding qualified people comes in. And what we're stepping up to is our member companies are stepping up to training and doing unique things themselves, because they know that I've got to solve this problem myself. Uh, Jim McAuley, the, the recently retired uh, CEO of Cooper Standard, told me last November, we're I've got 188 open requisitions for engineers and we can't find them. And I said, well, how are you doing these new startups? He says, working more hours. You know, we've got these uh, departments, uh, engineering department, working 24-7. But you can only do that so long. So that's where we're kind of getting caught up. You can work machinery up to a certain point, you can work people up to a certain point, but then something breaks down. You've got to find people to fill it in or get a new line to add the capacity. And I think that's what uh, this discussion's been all about, is identifying that there could be a crunch and we better start planning for it, we better start talking about it, not just here on a television or webcast, but uh, amongst each other in the auto industry. Anyway, I want to thank you all for having sat around and talked all about this. Neil DeCoker from OESA, Mike Martini from Bridgestone, Doug Grimm from Greta. Been a pleasure having you all on here. And let's get that production up and make sure those people get hired. And I think we're going to have a great year ahead of us in the automotive industry if we do. Agreed. It's the, it's the kind of problem we like a lot better than the one in 2009. <laughs> the other yeah, way around. Yeah, for sure. Amen, brother. <laughs> brother. Yeah. Production of Auto Line this week is underwritten by True Car.